Welcome to another edition of the Xamarin Podcast. I'm Pierce Bogan, and I'm joined by my good friend, Mike James. Mike, how are you doing today? Oh, no, I'm doing really well, thank you. It's uh, the Monday after the results of the referendum. Um, we won't get political on this show, but I will just say uh, to any European listeners, uh, I'm terribly sorry. I still <laughs> love you all. I still love you all. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. How are you, Pierce? I'm great. Uh, coming out of the weekend, had a great weekend, you know, went around Boston, did a whole bunch of fun stuff, saw Finding Dory, you know, I saw Finding Nemo, not sure if you're familiar with the title, Mike, uh, uh, when I was like in middle school, maybe even elementary school, and so it was a, a rush of nostalgia to go see Finding Dory in theaters, in 3D, which, in 3D. Wow. which is, uh, you think it would be a better experience in 2016, but it hasn't really improved in like the last five years. A 3D movie might actually be worse now than it was like five years ago. I don't know how that's possible. Um, but yeah, the 3D was horrible. And they didn't even, it was like they just took the movie and, uh, and put it into some machine that made it 3D. And they didn't do any 3D effects or anything. It was just in 3D. So there really yes. was no reason for it to be in 3D. It was just 3D. Uh, but besides that, I mean, it's Monday. I'm feeling good. Uh, so I can't complain. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about Azure and you know, adding backends, because it's been about a year since we had a, a chat on the podcast about backends. And a lot has changed in, in the backend landscape. Um, you know, because I think a year ago, I was pushing strongly for people. I was like, everyone should use pods. It's amazing. Um, Azure and AWS are quite complex to get started with. But, uh, you know, yeah, as I say, a lot has changed in that landscape. And I certainly won't be uh, advocating anyone jump on the pods bandwagon today. <laughs> Uh, can you even can you can you file new pars right now even if you wanted to will they let you oh no 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 so uh, actually you go to the pars website you know pars.com and the first thing you're you're met with is pars server the open source pars backend set up your self-hosted pars api today so uh you have a you have a link to their github with all the open source uh, code on there um, so that you can have your own instance of the back end um, and then a guide on how to make uh, migrate your apps. So I've got about four different apps as part of my back end that I need to migrate over uh, probably to Azure, to be honest. Um, but they, they've outlined, uh, you know, a, a couple of steps and some key key timelines, deadlines for when you should do things. Um, so it's actually going to be, Pars is going to be shut down January 28th, 2017. So we've still got a little bit of time. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pretty relaxed about this because if my back end disappears for these apps, I'm not going to lose any vital data. Um, but, yeah, so for those of you who, who kind of don't know about PARS, it was a, a product that was uh, a mobile back end as a service. So you, you really didn't have to do any configuring to get it up and running. You would just do, you know, sign into their website file new app type in a name and it would create a mongodb instance you would be able to do push notifications you could have custom api endpoints um all from a beautiful website um and the dotnet sdk was by far my favorite sdk for for using for backends um it was lovely absolutely lovely yeah you the, didn't have to you didn't have to know how the backend worked at all you could literally know nothing about how it worked and yeah. you could still build a, a beautiful app. Uh, and it was, it was super easy to use. And I think that's one of the things we really liked about Parse. Cause if you listen, if you go back and listen to the old podcast, which 
I'm not sure now why you would, because a lot of the information in is and it is outdated. Um, you like Mike said, you know, we were really pushing for parse just because it's so easy. But not only was it easy, it was super powerful. And so it's definitely sad to see that you know be no be no more as a company. Certainly, it is open source, but not that I would recommend. Uh, you know, if I have a business, then I'm all my data needs to be as it is an integral part of my business. I'm not sure I want to, you know, spin up a new backend with parse, even though it is open source. Yeah. I think, uh, if you're doing a file new solution today, then parse is probably not the right option for you. Um, but as I alluded to, you, you can actually do file new projects on the solution with parse if you're using Azure. So the Azure team have made, uh, made a template within the marketplace. So if you type in, Pars, um, you can create a new instance and what it's actually doing is it's firing up a whole load of existing Azure products so things like MongoDB, Notification Hub um, as, as well as I think there might be service bus in there it's it's literally everything in the kitchen sink thrown in um, I think it's got uh, storage as well uh, document DB uh, for the images and things it, it's madness it's literally every single or at least it appears every single service that they have, and then pass it on top of it. Now, I've done that in order to see how this migration process goes, and the, the thing that struck me was just how expensive it is. So when, when you do that, you're, you're limited in terms of the data centers that you can deploy that to. Um, so I think I was limited to the east coast of the US, which is the closest I could find to where I am in Europe. I couldn't actually create that instance for anywhere in Europe um, mm. and it came out at about 150 pounds I think it was pounds it could have been dollars but you know given Friday's news they're about the same anyway um, so you know it was pretty expensive in, in terms of uh, a back-end solution uh, and that was before anyone was using it so I'd actually if I was if I was going to do file new solution today, I don't think I would look at PARS because, as you mentioned, it's open source. There's no one really maintaining it anymore. Um, definitely, if I've got an existing PARS backend and I need to host it somewhere, Azure kind of makes sense. Um, but any file new solutions today, it's uh, it would be a terrible decision to to go with PARS. Um, because there are just well, there's loads of other options. And I know you're all, you're quite a big fan of Easy Tables. Yeah, Easy Tables. Um, a lot of people have never heard of Easy Tables. Azure has this thing called Azure Mobile App specifically has this thing called Azure Easy Tables, and most people who even work in Azure have never heard of it. Um, in part because there's a huge discoverability issue with Easy Tables because it's just hidden in a settings dialog somewhere. You have to know, you know, where it is to find it. But essentially, what Easy Tables can do is it can do a lot of that really simple data storage stuff that you loved about Parse. Um, where you can actually visualize it, you know, in the browser, and you can spin up a table and add, and you know manage the schema and that sort of thing all from the web page. Very simply, you don't have to you know worry about you know you know file newing an ASP back ASP.NET backend and wiring up everything, adding new controllers, adding new models, that sort of thing. You don't have to worry about that with Easy Tables. You just define a table, you define the schema for that table, and you can start using it in your mobile app. Um, so it's, it's super easy to get started. And of course it can do things like authentication and push too. Um, but there is a key limitation with easy tables and that's that you really shouldn't be doing any sort of relationship, uh, type stuff with easy tables. So if you're doing things with, um, you know, one, one to many relationships, 
um, you shouldn't ever be using, or one-to-one -one even, you shouldn't be using, um, shouldn't be using easy tables because it's just going to make your life hell. Um, it's too much. It's too much. You're going to have to manage. Um, if you file new ASP.NET backend with Azure, you're going to get a lot more functionality, and it's really not that hard to do, which we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, easy tables is great. Uh, if I'm, you know, building an MVP or something like that, uh, I'm going to fire up an easy table, and I can just when I go in the Azure portal, I can just file new mobile app. It'll spin up, and then I'll go into the portal. I, excuse me, go into that resource that I just created, and then I'll go into the settings, go to Easy Tables, and it'll walk me through the process of creating a, a SQL Server uh, instance, which is going to host my database for the Easy Table, and then walk me through the process of creating a table and managing. Uh, so it's actually super, super easy to get started with, and I think um, even in like once you get past the MVP state, um, something that I was experimenting. Uh, e with easy tables a little bit is uh, storing settings in there. Mm -hmm. So since it's super, super um, simple to get started with and simple to use, there's really, uh, I think a lot of us, like when we build mobile apps, we're like, oh, I should have done, you know, should have had these settings so that I could configure them from the, from the server in case something changes, like maybe my backend location changes or something like that. I need a way to, you know, alter that. And um, so I think settings is like a super, super easy and, and straightforward use case for easy tables because it's not relational data. And I, there's really no reason for me to, you know, do a whole complicated ASP.NET backend with it um, yeah. unless I already have that. And I can just, you know, add a table, add a few uh, columns for the different, for the different schema of that, of that model. And then I have, you know, connected settings, which is great. Um, and it really takes literally five minutes to get this set up it's great um and it's just a few clicks you don't have to do any programming to get it set up yeah the th so I, i've used these tables on one of my existing apps um so it's the app is called fake news um what's that it's uh well it's kind of a little bit of pose law um so there are headlines especially of late that are just they're madness right <laughs> they, the, the the british tabloids they write some app absolute nonsense and it, it gets published as, as reality and some people do believe it to be such um so I, I've, I've built an application just for ios it's kind of got this tinder style app where we bring in a headline and you have to swipe not you know do you want to meet up with them but do you think this is a real headline or do you think this is a fake headline we're also pulling in data from the onion and various other places um and i wanted to be able to update those headlines remotely i didn't want to have to ship an app update in order to you know get new headlines it should be an almost daily event so and I, just like you mentioned i didn't want to uh i didn't want to have to spin up an entire asp.net backend so i used easy tables so what i did was i created an excel spreadsheet and i put my headlines in there with the the row a being the the basically column name of my SQL database and I had like headline text source uh, and then a you know a ball value is this true or is true I went into Azure I created a new mobile app service or yeah mobile app service backend and then I easy tables which by default when you create a new app service in Azure it's going to be Node.js and if you've already deployed an ASP.NET backend to an existing app service instant and then you go ahead and create easy tables it's actually going to delete your asp.net backend 
and turn it back into a Node.js backend. So that's something to be conscious of. But when you're doing file new solution, it's all fine. And then I, just like you said, tap on the, the slightly hidden button that's for tables. And then I uploaded that spreadsheet. And it populated the table with all the column names and all of the data from the spreadsheet. So, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I can build an easy, easy table-based backend and have it connected to my mobile app in no more than five minutes. It is so, so simple. And I get that offline thing. So I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of that when I've got, you know, I think it's great for when, as you said, with like settings, when you've got like one data type yep. that isn't related to anything else, like my headlines, super, super easy. You know, I just upload an Excel spreadsheet and boom, I've got an offline backend and I haven't written a line of C sharp. I've not had to mess around with publishing or continuous deployment or anything like that. Um, I've just uploaded a spreadsheet and it's, you know, I've now got a backend. Yeah, that import from CSV thing is absolutely brilliant. When you showed me that, I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, I've been like, because most people are going to have some existing data, uh, maybe. And uh, so you can easily import that. Uh, with literally no work, like Mike said, you press a button and upload a CSV file and you have a populated table. It builds up the columns and everything for you automatically based off, like Mike said, what's in row A. Um, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, I love but, it. I love it. But as you say, it's a hidden feature. A lot of people don't know about it. And I was doing a hackathon in Athens and there was a guy that uh, he had downloaded SQLite. Um, I think it was from the component store or NuGet or somewhere. and he he was you know trying to populate it with data on the app's first launch. I was like, why isn't why haven't you built this to just be a connected app? And it's like, oh, I don't you know I don't want to have to mess around with Azure. It seems a bit complex. And I was like, dude, like I I can get this done for you in like five minutes. And he's like, oh no, it, it just it seems too complex. I don't want to do it. And then when I showed him, you know, hundred lines of code to talk to that backend instance and get the offline sync on the client side no lines of code for the back end and you've got an off offline capable you know super super easy back end to deploy and it would have been quicker for him to do that than sit there and debug SQLite and how he's going to populate it with his data and actually he was getting his data just from he had written it as you know uh, a, a helper method where he's called like uh, create data and then he's newing up Ooh. different objects and you know he's copied and pasted the properties in there so he's got this huge method that takes a little while to to execute and then add the item to a list which he then returns and then yeah he iterates through that and then adds it to the seat it was you know definitely an interesting way of doing it <laughs> and i'm like dude put it in the spreadsheet upload it and you're good and, yeah you know you're not going to have a huge huge performance issue on that first initial launch yeah, and uh, and like you said, the client library that that Azure ships just on NuGet, you can pull that down, and you can do online offline sync. It can do auth. It can do all that for you. It takes all that complexity and makes it fairly simple to do, like a hundred lines of code for online offline sync. And yep. he has that SQLite database already. When he gets he gets that for free with online offline sync, and like you said, he has a connected app now. Yeah. Um, so pr pretty nifty, but we have, we have a, a sneak peek, uh, to announce on the podcast. This is for a podcast exclusive. Yeah. Uh, me and Mike have built something. Mike, do you want to tell them about it? Uh, yeah. So we keep talking about this hundred lines of code to get this offline sync. And it's pretty common. It's normally about 89 lines of code if we're being completely honest. So it's not quite a hundred lines of code. Um, 
but it's a hundred basically 100 lines that we we write for every single app that we create and we're like well this is madness there's you know there's got to be an easy way to share this so we've created a little helper library that sits on top of azure mobile sdk for .net and it abstracts away some of the complexities of azure because you know we're i wouldn't say we're experts by any stretch we're probably you know intermediate azure users uh, yeah. when, when it comes to app service i don't want to profess to be an intermediate at everything because if you ask me to fire up a vm and provision it i'd be like no, so if you need support mike is here to help you is what he's saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> my my email is uh bogan at xamarin <laughs> um so yeah so there's there's you know a couple of classes that are just common throughout all of our projects and there are a couple of things that we wanted to do and make it easier so we've created this helper library, and we're not 100% sure what we're going to name it. Actually, as soon as we finish this podcast, we're jumping on a call with Adrian Hall, who's a senior mobile, uh, senior product manager for Azure Mobile. And we'll probably discuss you know, what we should call it. Um, right now, the project name is Azure.mobile, but that's definitely going to change. Yeah. Um, but what it allows us to do with, is it within you know, four lines of code to have something ready. So... Let me just walk you through the API. I'm just going to pull up the project in front of me so I can uh, speak speak truthfully about this. Or maybe, Pierce, you, you want to talk about the API? Yeah, sure. So um, as we mentioned earlier, this, this is even simpler, even if you're, if you're using something like EasyTables, um, because you don't have to code any backend. And it's four lines of code, as Mike said, to get up and running. You have a connected app with online offline sync. And you don't have to write any of the communication layer or anything like that to talk to your server, you know, to do all the syncing, to handle merge conflicts. That's all done for you. Um, so it's four lines of code. The first line is just an initialization of the library. Um, the second one, uh, you pass in the, um, the URL of your mobile app instance. Um, so that would just be whatever, you know, the URL for your thing is when you file new an Azure mobile app. Third, you define a table. And so essentially what that is, is, you know, you just call client.define table, you pass in the type, so maybe to do item. And what that actually does is it's going to define a table, uh, an actual, you know, database, and it's going to define a table within that database uh, for online offline sync and register that with, um, with the mobile service client. And then finally, you finalize the schema, which is actually going to take all of those definitions created and create that you know, create that database if it's not already created. Um, you can also, if you optionally, if you'd like, you can also um, write, maybe you want, you know, more complex uh, data communication layer. You know that 89 lines of code that me and Mike were talking about. You want to roll your own. Maybe you're doing some custom logging or you want to do it. Oh, you want to do something custom, essentially. Um, you can still register it with that. And all you have to do is pass in. We've created a base uh, table data store. And you just have to subclass that, pass in the type. And if you want to override any of the methods, you certainly can. Yeah. And so the, you just uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the uh, the base data store is actually really helpful um, because that was the thing that we were constantly reusing. That's that 89 lines of code. And that's basically dealing with the CRUD for the table. So, you know, if you go and look at the beer drinking repository, which is, you know, on GitHub, it uses the the approach of what this library is trying to fix which is we've got this data store so we've got an i my data store or beer data store and then we implement that with beer store 
and that's doing all the crud and it's it's just doing exactly the same thing as my wish list data store um so we've we've got this base data store where you just pass in the model so i just pass in a beer or a wish item and as Pierre said it's going to create that table for me but it gives me the methods to add remove update delete um, without me having to write that, I can literally just inherit from the base data store with my type, and I have all of those available. So we took that one step further, and we created an azure.mobile.forms. And as I say, the names are going to change, but the functionality will remain the same. And within that, we have a base forms view model. So now we can, within our Xamarin Forms project, we add this NuGet package, and I'll, we'll publish to NuGet probably by the end of today. Um, and we're publishing us on Monday the 26th of June. I think it's the 26th or 27th. Um, so yes, you, you have this base forms view model with your type of you know to-do item or beer. And now I can, uh, I can just connect my bindings from the XAML straight to this view, this view model. So my actual Xamarin Forms view model that I write doesn't need any lines of code. It just needs to inherit from the base forms view model. Brilliant. And now I've got the bindings available to me. Um, so I'm pretty pleased with this because I can, as I say, no lines of code in my Xamarin Forms list view base, apart from saying I'm inheriting from this base forms view model. I can do pulse refresh and it's going to go off to Azure and it's going to fetch all of that data for me and display it within the list. So the the whole idea of this is to make Azure just a little bit more accessible to people that have never used it. Because there are a couple of things that you just have to do. And as I say, me and Piers have been finding ourselves just copying and pasting a lot of the existing code that we've written. And we're like, well, let, you know, let's just package this up and make it that little bit easier for people to get started with. Now, I've written a, a forms sample and a traditional iOS. We'll probably get around to adding a traditional Android uh, version, uh, sample, and also UWP. But this will work because it's just .NET. It will work with any .NET as long as Azure Mobile works there. We're just an abstraction above that. Yeah, and I'm not totally sure if this is a V1 feature. It's implemented, but you know, we we probably need to do some more testing. But I'm giving all the podcast listeners a sneak peek. Um, we also have written uh, something to do uh, blob storage and make blob storage much much easier. So right now it's a little complicated to do blob storage because Azure storage is actually its own little thing, kind of separate from mobile apps. They integrate nicely together, but you kind of have to you know write some of that glue yourself. Uh, which is which is a little troublesome, especially if you don't understand all the different pieces going around. Uh, and when I wrote uh, Moments, which was a Snapchat, Snapchat clone that I built with Forms and and an Azure backend, uh, I realized how horrible it was to work with with images and data, you know, together. And so in this library, like I said, I think it's going to make it into V1, but we'll see. Essentially, all you have to do, say, I want to have an image. Say your bait news headline, you want to have uh, a picture of the publication, like a, an icon of the publication uh, that yep. it came from. All you have to do is do storage.upload. You pass in what's called a shared access signature, which is just essentially a key you get from Azure Storage when you spin up a new Azure Storage instance, create a, what's called a container, which is a folder. Um, and you can take that and you just pass that in and it'll automatically create um, the file for you. Um, you just pass it a stream pass it that shared access signature, and you'll get a URL back. And so essentially what will actually happen is 
maybe you have a news headline dot image URL, um, you just set that property equal to um, what what that storage dot upload method returns. So that takes all the complexity of dealing with blob storage and all that stuff down to one line of code. All you have to do is pass in a stream and your shared access signature, like I said, just a key, and you're good to go. And so, like in summary for this library, say I go file new easy table. So I have a no code backend that I spun up in like five minutes. I have four lines of code to create, initialize, define my table, and then finalize and create it. Four lines of code. I can do image storage in one line of code. And then I can not write any code in my view model. I don't have to write code, like Mike said, to pull the refresh. Uh, I don't have to write code that's going to have all my items. All that's going to be automatically set up for me in that base form view model. And so I can literally file new, inherit from that, uh, add those four lines of code, and then uh, bind in my XAML to that view model. And we have uh, a connected app that uses online offline sync and works with Azure Storage and just literally like four or five lines of code. Um, so we really took a lot of the things that we like about Parse and tried to uh, well, we, we used Parse as an inspiration when we <laughs> created this library, I guess we should say, because there's a, the, the Azure Mobile uh, Client SDK, I think it's called now, um, is great. It's awesome. It's very powerful. It can do everything you need it to do. You can pass in delegating handlers. You can do all this crazy stuff. Um, so if you need that really fine-tuned level of control, you still can totally have that. Um, but we've created something that really makes it easy to use Azure, uh, like Mike said, for people who are new to backends, new to Azure. It's so overwhelming. There's so much going on. This is just a few lines of code, and it's a great way to get started. Yeah, I think uh, it's if you've never done Azure and you've you've looked at other products like Firebase or Pars or you know these mobile backends as a as a platform or as a service, then this is certainly worth looking at this library because it's going to make your your life with getting started with Azure much easier. And because it's just sat on top of the Azure mobile SDK, if you get to a point where it's no longer fulfilling your needs, it's it's not terribly difficult to remove our abstraction and then just jump down. And because it's all going to be open source as well, you'll be able to see how we've implemented this. And naturally, we're using interfaces so that you could extend things as well if you really wanted to. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how this library is turning out. Um, we've, as I say, we've got the, the two samples now. So we've got Forms and we've got iOS. And uh, we'll also... We'll also make an Android version and a UWP version. I also think I'll probably look at this this evening, actually, but I'll probably make a workbook with just a simple tutorial. Love it. Yeah. Um, All about that workbook's life. Oh, I love workbooks. They're amazing. So great. We'll we'll look at announcing that sometime really, really soon. Uh, you heard it here first on the podcast. If you're listening on a Monday, uh, who knows? Maybe it'll maybe it'll drop sometime this week and and you'll get to try it out. Uh, and maybe it's been released already at the time you're listening to this. But if you haven't, if you're listening today, you're a loyal podcast listener and you're listening on a Monday, the day we release the podcast. Uh, you heard it here first before it before it launched that me and Mike had built. So that's pretty cool. We definitely you know want your feedback, want your suggestions. If you have bugs, please file them. If you have things you'd love the library to do, uh, please please let us know. File a, an enhancement request on GitHub. I think. Uh, there's some obvious places that I think we can look at cleaning up, like authentication. We can make authentication easier. Uh, we can mm. look at all those little things and, and and start making those easier. But for V1, data storage and uh, and blob storage is really is really the feature set. So yeah, be sure to check that out and uh, just keep an eye out on the Xamarin blog for an announcement on that. Uh, but we we would be remiss if we didn't also talk about 
our beautiful, beautiful ASP.NET Azure mobile app backend. And Azure Functions. And Azure you know. Functions and a little bit of cognitive services. I want to you oh, know throw a little bit of yeah. salt, a little cognitive services in there. Uh, maybe a, a few minutes on Azure Search. I know that's a passionate topic for you. We do. We like all these Azure services. We're just pulling them in. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, over the last year, I think ever since we recorded that podcast, me and Mike have been doing more and more and more with the Azure. And like Mike said, we don't want to call ourselves experts, um, but I think we're at the intermediate stage and there's a lot of really cool things we've learned over the last year. Um, at first, I was, I'll tell a little bit of a personal story. Uh, so you can build uh, backends, like I said, with the easy tables approach, no code. Uh, but most people are probably going to opt for the full-fledged Azure Mobile Apps uh, Web API, uh, ASP.NET Web API approach, where you have full, full control over everything that's happening behind the scene. So back in November, we started thinking about Evolve. And obviously, we need a conference application and that sort of thing. Um, I forget what our backend was powered by before for the, uh, for the last Evolve, Evolve 2014. Um, but we wanted to do an Azure backend. All our customers were using Azure. Um, I had talked a lot about Azure. I'd used it a little bit, but I really wanted to get you know headfirst into into Azure and start learning it. And so I was a little overwhelmed at first. But in two weeks, this is how easy it is, guys. In two weeks, we built the Xamarin Evolve backend. Um, I had literally no back. I've never built a backend. I've never used ASP.NET Web UK in my entire life. Um, and in two weeks, we built the backend for the for the uh, Xamarin Evolve mobile application for the, for the Xamarin Evolve conference. And that had data storage, that had custom authentication. It even had some authorization filters. So like, for example, only people with a at Xamarin.com email address could, could change the data, you know, could add new sessions or edit speakers or that sort of thing if the data changed. Push notifications with Azure notification hubs. Um, we did, we did all the, we pulled in everything we could and that only took two weeks. Um, and like I said, I had absolutely no experience. Uh, and then we get to Evolve. I was a little worried because like I said, I had no backend experience and all of a sudden 2000 conference attendees plus all the staff that are there are going to be using the application and people who even aren't at the conference because there's a lot of cool stuff you can get from that um, are going to be using this application. And I was re really worried. I was like, what if I did something wrong? It's not going to work. Everything went smoothly. We had over 1 million requests on this mobile backend, and uh, it only cost us $35 to power for that week, which is pretty amazing for 1 million requests. Yeah. Um, and like I said, no backend experience, two weeks, and I built this, I built this backend that serviced a million requests in a week. So uh, it's actually not as hard as it seems at first. There's just so, there's so many services that Azure provides. When you go to the portal, you're like, I don't know, like, do I want web plus mobile? Do I want to create a web app? Do I want to create a mobile? There's too, there's, there's almost too much there. Uh, and it's a little overwhelming to get started at first, but it's actually not that hard. Um, and I know Mike's had a similar, similar experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I started with Azure back when it was mobile services, uh, which is you know, what you used to build the, uh, the moments back in. Yes. And, uh, then I migrated over to a mobile app service. Which uh, isn't, you know, revised version of mobile service, um, and I've, yeah, I found it. I found it pretty nice actually. So I think I'd never built backends before beer drinking, so I'd always use services like Pars, where you know I didn't have to worry about 
how I was going to store this data or deal with geo replication or you know I didn't I didn't have to care about the back end at all I could just focus entirely on the the mobile experience but with with beer drinking I needed more control and I desperately wanted the offline sync so I uh, you know I did the file new new solution and it is it, you know it's pretty easy I think I I kind of wish as I say, I'd never had any backend experience or, or actually any web experience because I've only ever done desktop or mobile. And I kind of wish that I'd learned sooner or had read sooner that the backend should never, you know, persist in application state. It should be stateless. Because if I think if I knew that from day one, it would have meant that learning was so much easier for me because it would have made more sense. Um but yeah, it's, it's it's actually super, super simple. And I was hacking this weekend on Saturday, uh, just adding some new features to the back end. And I love it. And I use Swagger. Um, so I just, you know, I deploy my back end. I go to it and I type in slash Swagger. And then I get a lovely UI for actually interacting with that back end and uh, testing it. So I'm a huge, huge fan of this. I'm able to add features so, so quickly to the back end now because it's all in C Sharp. You know, I'm like, oh, I need, I need to, another API in order to go and fetch some data and do some things. Right, file new, API controller. Then, you know, whack some C-sharp code in there and boom, deploy it. And I've now got a, an endpoint that I can call against that has access to my entire database um, of data. Yeah, but, and, uh, and you don't really even have to do, if you don't want to, you, if you're just trying to do like an MVP and you want to use the ASP.NET backend approach, you really don't have to do any coding there either because essentially what you do is you file new Azure mobile app. You can download the quick start uh, server project, uh, open that up and say you have some data models. You can right click the controller, scaffold mm -hmm. a new controller. And so all you have to do is click and say, hey, scaffold after this model, it's going to set up everything for you. You don't have to worry about it. And then you just publish. Um, yeah. So you don't even really have to code when you're just getting started with the back end, which is, which is how I did it. And so it's so easy to get started and you can do all this crazy stuff that you couldn't do with uh, easy tables or you couldn't do easily, I guess I should say, um, like navigation properties. So say I have uh, my to-do item has an, an author and, uh, or an owner. And I wanna, if I wanna be able to go to-do item dot author and get all the properties, you know, all the information about the person who actually created this to-do item, I can do that with navigation properties. And uh, so navigation properties, you can do, you know, one-to-one -one and one-to-many relationships. You can technically do one many-to-many -many relationships. Um, I wouldn't recommend that because I tried doing that and it's just a giant mess, uh, especially because if you're expanding. So essentially when you're, when you're pulling down this data and you're doing navigation properties, you can get lazy loading for free with some stuff. Uh, so if I went to do item dot author, it might pull down the author. But sometimes I want that data, you know, already, you know, in the application when I pull it down the first time, I want it to be quick to navigate back and forth. I don't want to have to wait for a server call to return. When you're pulling down navigation properties, essentially what happens is the JSON that gets returned does, Lazy just loading, has a null many to many uh, value for that particular property. And then when you try and get it, it goes to, goes to go fetch it from the server. Um, the problem with this, obviously, is that, like I said, you have to wait for the server call to return. So you can do this thing called expansion. And essentially, I've written a little uh, helper that you can actually get in the Evolve App backend code, uh, which is all available, all open source, front end and backend code at uh, github.com forward slash Samarin forward slash app dash evolve. 
you can go in there, you add this attribute, and it'll actually expand out this JSON for you. And it'll actually, you know, give you that author, for example. Well, I was messing around with it, and I was expanding both. And so it was, it was returning almost an infinite loop of data because it kept expanding each other because they referenced each other. And so it was trying to expand each other, and it just kept going and going and going. And I get, a, you know, a, JS a JSON file return that's like, you know, 15 megs. I'm like, what's happened? And, you know, the mobile app is back end has crashed and all this stuff. So yeah. I would recommend, you know, trying to avoid many to many, but you can do one to many and uh, one to one relationship super, super easily um, with, the, with the Azure mobile apps, ASP.NET backend. Um, back end. Um, and the other cool thing we like about that back end is you can do a whole bunch of uh, customization as far as um, authentication. So like I mentioned for the, for the Evolve app, we actually did authentication with your Xamarin account. So if you have a Xamarin account, all the authentication is done through that, through our OAuth handler. Um, and so all, mm. it was, I think, maybe 100 lines of code. And a lot of that was just boilerplate you know, models for JSON serialization and deserialization uh, for our OAuth uh, service that we offer through Xamarin authentication. And then I just add that to the back end, add a few lines of code, say, hey, let's auth through that. I actually just added an authorized attribute to the things that I wanted to be, you know, user specific. So I wouldn't add that to sessions and that sort of thing, because there's no particular reason you need to be logged in to get that. But maybe for favorites, for example, obviously that's very user specific. So we would need them to be authenticated and logged in. They would need to have a user ID. So we just add an attribute, 30, 40 lines of code to do the custom authentication with Xamarin Auth. And any OAuth provider we can bring into our, our, our Azure mobile app backend with, with almost no work. So uh, authentication is also super, super easy with Azure mobile. Yeah, and when you, when you tie in the other services as well around you know, mobile with Notification Hub um, you, and Azure Search, you know, as, you, as you mentioned, I'm a huge fan of, you, you get a very, very compelling story for, for building a backend with very minimal amount of work, actually, as you said two weeks and you had a backend that was able to deal and scale with over a million million requests which is which isn't bad considering you'd never built a backend using app servers before and and there's also other services that you can feed into app service such as you know azure functions and you may use uh, you can kind of think of azure functions as you've got a, a snippet of c sharp code that you want to run at scale but you don't want to have to deal with the infrastructure for running that snippet. You don't want to have a full ASP.NET backend. You've got a particular thing that needs to happen, a particular event or a particular time, and you, you don't want to have to worry about the, the infrastructure behind that thing happening. So to, to give you an example, let's say I'm uploading images with beer drinking. I upload a photo of a, a beer, or what I hope to be a beer. Well, I can throw that into blob storage using my SAS key and the lovely Azure helper library that Pierce and myself have written. And uh, I, I don't want to actually save it into permanent storage until I've done some kind of analysis on the image. Um, and I may, I may use cognitive services for that. And there may be a few steps that I want to take. So number one would be, you know, is this a beer? So we send it off to Azure uh, cognitive services and it's like, yep, that, that image contains a beer. Yeah, perfect. Now we're going to watermark the image, just like TripAdvisor has the little owl logo thing in the middle of every single photo. We're going to add a very subtle beer drinking watermark on it, and we're going to scale three versions. We're going to have an icon, a medium, and a large. 
so that when the user is requesting the image, we can decide which version of the image to fetch depending on how much bandwidth is available. Um, so I could use an Azure function to do all of that. It's very self-contained, and once it's processed the image, it can then go ahead and store it into persistent storage. Now, the reason I may want to use an Azure function for that is I can connect it straight into the blob storage so that when there's an event that happens on the storage container, it instantly starts firing up uh, the, the infrastructure in order to execute my code. And I'm only paying for the CPU time, so I'm not paying for the infrastructure to be always on and being able to respond. I just pay for what I use. And let's say my app becomes really popular and we've got 6 million people uploading images right now, you know, this very second. Azure is intelligent enough with Azure Functions, given that it's running on dynamic compute. It's intelligent enough to scale up to meet that demand and then scale down for me. I don't have any scaling rules set like I would with app service. Um, it literally just does it for me. So if it needs 100 machines or 200 machines or something crazy like that in order to process and deal with that amount of demand, it will just spin them up and it will just give me the bill for the amount of CPU time it used. Brilliant. Um, so it's Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I wouldn't recommend using Azure Functions to build an entire backend. Um, but I, I was, as I said to you before we started recording the podcast, I was looking at it this weekend. But I was also looking at web jobs and the uh, the because uh, they kind of solve the prob same problem. Though certainly for what I want to do, um, you know, I've got some data in blob storage. I need to validate it and then store it into my permanent blob storage. Um, and web jobs is perfectly valid for that. But I I, I kind of wanted to look at Azure Functions for it because uh, Azure Functions sits on the same SDK as web jobs. So a lot of the code that I write for web jobs I can just reuse in uh, Azure Functions. And actually when you do an Azure function, you can go to the properties and then see that it's actually just running on an app service like a web job uh, underneath. Um, but I, I've, I've got to be honest, I'm not I'm not quite convinced on functions just yet. I think it's a, it's a really cool idea, but the tooling isn't there. And as I experienced this weekend, you know, I, I, want, I wanted to add two new Get packages because right now it can deal with table storage and we're not talking, you know, SQL storage. It's, it's table storage and, and blob storage. And I wanted to interact with my SQL database. And there's no means for me to do that without adding, or first of all, you know, writing the C sharp myself to, to interact with it and, and deal with the, the database connection manually, or bringing a library like Entity Framework. So I was like, meh, I'll bring an entity, fr entity framework. I've already got all the code from my standard app service backend. And I was like, well, how do I go ahead and add a new get package to my Azure function? And the Azure functions um, is, is basically just a web browser where you can edit some C sharp, right? It's, it's a web view. It's not a full IDE that I haven't seen any templates in Visual Studio. I've been told they exist, but I've you know got all the Azure tooling installed and it's up to date and I don't see it. Um, so the the advice for adding the NuGet package was to download the project.json and then add the the dependency there. But uh, project.json is being deprecated from what I understand, so that's not going to be a valid format going forward. And um, I had to then mess around with getting the FTP details in order to re-upload that uh, to my Azure instance, and it it just felt a bit messy to me. And what I what I really wanted was a button in the in the portal to say add package. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's got a little way to go before I can say 
use Azure Functions for everything. Um, I think it's definitely got a lot, an awful lot of potential. Um, but right now, I think it's lacking in documentation and the tooling around the product. Yeah, and like you said, I think there's a lot of obvious things you would use functions for, like images. Like that was exactly what I was thinking when I heard of Azure Functions. Uh, for moments, I'm, you know, I, it's it's always my pet project. It's like Mike's beer drinking. I'm always circling back around to it somehow um, and thinking about how I can improve it. Well, right now, since it, it used Azure Mobile Services backend, I have to actually create uh, a, a .NET backend either way. Uh, so I was looking at doing it right. And so I was thinking about using Azure Functions. Like Mike said, he's using it to see if there's a beer in the, in the image and add the watermark and that sort of thing. Well, I'm actually, for moments, what I'll do is when a user uploads the image, number one, I want this app to be safe for everyone to use. So I can use Microsoft Cognitive Services to do an adult content check. I can just pass the image to Cognitive Services. It'll return a score, zero to one, just a double. And uh, depending on that, I can choose to store the image. Um, and then after that, say it's no adult content, we're good to go. Uh, I can scale down and compress the image so that it's actually not taking up as much room in my Azure storage container. And then I can pass that off to Azure storage. We're good to go. Um, another cool thing that I was thinking about using it for is soft delete. So Azure mobile yeah. apps has this thing called soft delete where a user can delete something, but it actually keeps you know, a copy of it in the event that you actually want to undelete it. Um, and so I could go through that. The other one was an event, an example of an event-based function. Uh, this would be more of a time-based function. So every night at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or whatever, whenever I find my usage is lowest, I can go through and I can actually just clear out all those soft deletes, for example. Um, so it can do those cool event-based functions and uh, time-based mm. as well. So yeah, tooling, maybe not totally there yet, um, but obviously, you know, you can see maybe in six months uh, exactly where yeah. it's going to be. Um, and it, was only re- it was only released in April, that's so it's, it's yep. pretty new. Yep. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's really cool. And I think I'm, I'm certainly going to use it. I'm going to fight against the tooling right now because the, the benefits that it offers are, you know, outweigh those little cons. But if there's anyone, you know, listening from the Azure Functions team, you know, do feel free to get in touch and I can give you some pointers on how, you know, there's a couple of bits of low-hanging fruit that we could definitely improve um, in order to make the whole story a lot nicer. Yep. Um, but it's also another thing worth mentioning with Azure Functions and also the web job SDK is that it's got uh, hooks for consuming webhooks. Hmm. Now, this is really cool because uh, the, the beer drinking backend or the beer, beer drinking gets its data from a service called BreweryDB. And I'm going to be honest. I cheated in order to build my beer database uh, rather than just hooking into any change events. Right now, what I do is whenever I call a particular endpoint, and I should schedule this to do it regularly, but whenever I call it, it goes through the entirety of my database and it goes through the entirety of their database and looks for differences. Now, they've got a webhook API, so I create pretty easily, I just need to get around to it, look through Azure Functions, Using the webhooks uh, SDK, I could consume any events from uh, beer drinking. And I, I saw Scott Guthrie demo this in London, and uh, it, it's exceptionally easy to do. Um, you know, you get you get the message sent to you as just JSON. You turn it back into your objects, and uh, yeah, then you process it however you need to. So uh, yeah, if you if you want to consume or even create a webhook 
for other people to consume, you can do that all with Azure Functions. Um, and as I say, because it scales, if all of a sudden BreweryDB got a thousand new items added to their database and then sends out a thousand events on the webhook, well, I can just scale up as many backends as I need, or as many, you know, it will scale out and up as much as it needs to in order to uh, actually process that data. Yeah, and and it, like we like we have been mentioning throughout the podcast, we're we're using all these other Azure services in conjunction uh, with Azure mobile apps. So there's Microsoft Cognitive Services, uh, machine learning, Azure Cert functions. There's all these other things, and it's actually really really nice when you can start using them together because the power of that is, is pretty crazy, um, especially like when it comes to things like. I know Azure Search and Machine Learning, like they make some things so, so, so simple. Like this is technically a cognitive service, the recommendations, for example, technically a cognitive service, but it's based off all the machine learning stuff. Uh, in about, uh, let's see, uh, 10, 15 lines of code, I can get recommendations, uh, item to item recommendations for a product. Um, I don't have to know anything about statistics or uh, machine learning or anything like that. It's just a few lines of code and I have to pass up you know, a catalog of items, which you probably already have, which is just, you know, your products table, um, which has an ID yeah. and name, my usage data, which you're probably already logging anyways, uh, you just pass both of those up and you get recommendations. You don't even have to think about it. Um, you use other cognitive services, like I mentioned earlier, there's the computer vision API. You can check and see if your image contains a beer. Uh, you can check and see if the image has adult content. You can do language understanding. Um, for uh, Evolve, I built an application that actually used uh, speech to text to, so that you could go uh, start making me coffee and my coffee maker, it used Microsoft Cognitive Services to understand my intent and my coffee maker, my office would actually start making coffee. Um, so that's pretty nifty. So you can do all these crazy things in just a few lines of code and the power of it is just crazy when you start combining all these things together. And they're, they're releasing new stuff all the time, which is crazy. Like Mike said, they released functions in April. Cognitive Services was available as Project Oxford for uh, over a year now. Uh, it's in, a, it's, in a, it's still a trial period. They have 22 APIs. Um, they're adding all this new stuff constantly. So it, I can't even imagine, you know, this time next year at Build, what kind of stuff they're going to be announcing, uh, what kind of crazy stuff I can start adding to my mobile apps. It's kind of getting out of hand because I know Mike has this problem too. They'll release something that's shiny like cognitive services and we'll be like oh i need that in my app and we'll pull it down and they keep releasing new things and we're like oh i can't release my app i gotta keep pulling down all this stuff that they have and yeah. Uh, so yeah just one more feature just one more feature and then i'll release well it. you added azure search which is pretty nifty as well to beer drinking yeah but that was that was super simple um you know i had i had to you can't have a beer discovery app with terrible search and uh I was actually searching for how to do search with app service. And I'd had I I'd got a link statement that I'd written. Um and that was working relatively well, you know, if the string contains um, you know, whatever I'm passing in and return. Um but it didn't deal with off by ones or spelling mistakes. So uh Azure Search fixed that for me and gives me But the interesting thing with Azure Search is I'm not actually ever calling the search API. If you go and look at the beer drinking code, you'll see that I'm only ever using the suggestions API because the suggestions is just so so amazing. Yeah. Um, so I I never actually have a need because I I don't think that 
in terms of the UX for beer drinking that the user ever actually needs to hit search. As they're typing, I'm giving them a live update of all the beers that, that we're returning, and I'm returning 50 beers. So assuming that they get to spell it reasonably correctly, off by one, two, or even three in some cases, will still return the beer fairly high up the rankings. Um, and that's something else with search that I love, the, the ranking system. So at some point in the future, if I start to sell beer within beer drinking, I'm going to be able to you know, put artificial ranks on particular beers within the search results in order to push those higher up, in order to try and push people to buy them um, based on you know what percentage profit I make on that beer. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's a very interesting product, and it's built on top of Elasticsearch. So it's you know, got a proven technology underneath, but then it's also got technology uh, from Bing, and it's got technology from Office in terms of language processing. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And they, they recently, I think it was just before April, they dropped the price significantly. Um, so if I think the key thing to take away from this podcast is that if you've got Azure, if you've got MSDN, you've probably already got some Azure credits. Yep. Most people I say, do you have Azure credits? People put their hand up and I say, how many people are using it? And a lot of hands go down. There, There is absolutely no reason at the end of this podcast to not go to the portal fire up a new instance of app service. You can upload the CSV file to get a backend. You can download our help projects and you can, with with four lines of code, have a mobile, offline, capable, connected app using Xamarin. Amazing. Um, and then plug in all the other services as you go. This has been another edition of the Xamarin Podcast. I'm Pierce Bogan. And I'm Mike James. Thanks for listening. <laughs>